0: <laughs> yeah. hey again everybody john porteous for the levels township historical society along with richard perry uh and you're listening to the backcast podcast this week uh really super fun guest we're a couple of days late in getting this out but uh, i assure you it's well worth the wait glenn blackwood is our guest uh today and glenn uh you are i think the the quintessential multifaceted uh individual we have a uh, uh, a, a true Renaissance type. Uh, we've got you involved in birds, books, grouse, literary societies, uh, history auctions. Yeah, history auctions. So uh, I I I think rather than me bungle things, why don't we uh, let you tell our listeners a, a little bit about how you got involved in everything, and uh, we have, we'll we'll just kind of touch on a few of these things as we go through.
1: Oh my, yeah. Y- y- y'all won't have enough time to, uh, to hear all of those things. It's um, a
0: long format yeah, good, good. <laughs> Well uh,
1: I, you know I grew up in a very conservation minded family. Uh, my paternal uh, grandfather uh, grew up in central Pennsylvania where I got my love of the wilds, uh, wild trout streams, both freestone streams and spring creeks. Uh, as a little kid. Um, and then his career took him to Ohio, um, as he was an aeronautical engineer for the federal government at Wright Pat, oh, okay. sure. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, but we always kept the house back in Center County on uh, the Bald eagle Valley. Um, but uh, my father became a conservation officer uh, with the state of Ohio, was a game warden. Wow. Uh, so that sporting ethic continued. Um, The other side of the family, my mother's side was uh, agricultural oriented farmers, uh, if you will, Uh, and so I had the mix of both worlds uh, growing up, uh, if you will, and then uh, had a little accident uh, with my leg and ended up going to auctioneering school uh, where the auctioneering aspect came in on the agricultural side, put myself through Ohio State. Uh, auctioneering, um, if you will. And uh, then after uh, I graduated from the university, uh, there were three things that brought me to Michigan. Uh, I always say trout, grouse, and woodcock. And uh, by and large, uh, I've been here ever since and uh, been been kind of, been very, very fortunate in being able to mix business and pleasure together. And Uh, help conservation organizations through the the auctioneering basis uh, but also, uh, you know, create uh, uh, a lifestyle around not only being a field um, during the seasons uh, but through books and artwork and that.
0: uh, Well, I I can tell our listeners um, if there's an occasion to find a book um, related to the sports it's, uh, you're the guy to call.
1: Well, at, at least in fly fishing and wing shooting, uh, you know, uh, I'm probably the dumbest person that, uh, you've ever interviewed here. And mm. so, um, I learned early on that I had to, uh, to really focus on genres to do well. Um, I'm not the person that can be completely broad based. Uh, unfortunately I, I wish I was. Uh, but no, in fly fishing and wing shooting books, uh,
2: in literature like that, uh, we're, we're pretty, I guess we're right up there, people would say. Well, you did your uh, literature discussion with us at the museum a few years ago at one of our events. And that's where I found out about Gordon Macquarie, and I, uh, I owe you one for that. A, that's a good story.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's really interesting when you look at the, the literary aspects of it. Um, in in the genre of sporting uh, literature, and I write a column called Pages Past for uh, Upland Almanac Magazine, which is a, a wing shooting magazine, uh, as well as like the book reviews for Michigan Trout um, and Covers Magazine, the RGS Magazine as well. Right. But when you look at this genre of sporting art, if we can go down that way, you see... How well the being a field in the outdoors crosses over to people. And you see it in multi generations of writers. You mentioned Gordon McQuarrie. Uh, Gordon McQuarrie out of Wisconsin was was a wrote well, basically because he was a professional writer, He was a, a journalist. Hmm. You look at Hemingway's writings um, on sport. You look at Robert Ruark's writings on sport, the classic Old Man and the Boy. You know, he was a trained journalist that wrote best-selling um, novels at the time. Uh, you look at presidential writings. You know, Jimmy Carter's book, The Outdoors Adventures of a President, or, or whatever the name escapes me right now, is a wonderful read. Uh, you bring in Harrison and McGuane, Danny Gerber uh modern american critical fiction writers or poets mm-hmm. that have also written in this genre um and it goes you know top to bottom uh, all the way through so it's it's really fascinating to look at the the people um award-winning writers and journalists everyday names that have written in this microcosm
0: um yeah. and I may be off base here, but Charles Carroll did he have? Had a, a in his
1: in his memoirs, he talks quite his, a bit okay, about that, fly fishing. Right. Um, he had a, a little place on the Ruby River. Okay. Uh, so there'd be another
0: one. Yeah, hmm. uh, interesting gentleman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> With a hell of a storyteller, though. Yeah. Well, so you know, among those literary types. Um, One close to our heart um, is Volker, and um, I believe you have some uh, intimate involvement um, with the uh, literary society that way.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm very fortunate to be on the the board of directors for the Volker Foundation. Um, The Volker Foundation is a a foundation that was started um, based on uh, the judge's Viewpoints, And we have two missions. Uh, the first mission is that we give scholarships to um, Native Americans uh, that would like to study law from yeah. tribes um, or uh, nations in Michigan and Wisconsin. Um, so we give an annual scholarship uh, to a variety of st- students that are studying law. Um,
0: and I, I don't want to interrupt you, but there's there's really good reason for that, right?
1: Oh, it <laughs> goes back to. Um,
0: it's not just a random. No, it's thing. just not that, a random thing. A it goes back to
1: <laughs> you know the judge's viewpoint of uh, being in the UP mm-hmm. um, and some of the stories that he had written about and seen um, what was going on um, with the tribes there. That that was a uh, one of his directions when the foundation was started. That's awesome. So we have uh, funded several students over the years uh, that now are coming back and helping uh, with the foundation. So that's really probably the the exciting, exciting part of it uh, from an educational background and and, uh, his legacy. Uh, The other uh, side of the coin is the Robert Traver Writing Award. That was founded years ago. Um, it's we like to think it's the most prestigious writing award uh, for angling writing um, in the United States. Uh, it comes with a cash prize. Uh, we've had several top name uh, sporting writers win the award: Pete Frome, Seth Norman, just to uh, name a few. Um, for years, it was published in uh, Fly Rod and Reel magazine. Which uh, Nick Lyons um, from Lyons Press uh, was very very uh, involved in getting it up and published there. Um, now we have a joint partnership with the American Museum of Fly Fishing in Vermont, mm-hmm. and it is published in their uh, magazine. Okay. Um. And we just are in the judging process at this time. Uh, we, I believe we had 87 entries this year. Wow. wow. Um, and there's some really, really good stories. Um, I'm fortunate to, to be one of the people uh, that kind of, as we go through and read things, um, we, we break it down in batches. So Okay. Um, I've read some of the entries. Uh we had entries from the UK. Um, we had poetry. We had stories. Um, so that's a, a real that's exciting awesome. time. So we're in the judging process of that, and then that will be published uh, in the museum's magazine uh, coming up. So uh, yeah, that's that's really really exciting, and uh, you know we missed a couple years unfortunately, um, but we're back in the game uh, better Excellent. than ever. On that, um, there was also two books published. Um, one was called *In Hemingway's Meadow*, and the other one escapes me right now. Um, of past Traver Award-winning essays.
0: Oh, okay, and, so kind of uh, collections.
1: So kind of collections. If you're, hmm. you're interested in reading past winners, um, so and in, in, oh, I like in, the thought of that. Yeah, we're uh, looking forward to to going forward with the with both the Traver Award and with Um, the Educational Endowment Scholarships. I guess for a a shameless plug, uh, if anybody's interested uh, in making a donation in supporting either one of these causes, uh, you can reach out to the the Volcker Foundation website. And
0: uh, And we'll put that link in the show notes so the listeners can uh, click on the link and and be directed there. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a. So, so, do the winners have to make a proper old fashioned?
1: Um, I don't know that, um, but. Uh,
0: Is that encouraged among uh, the board? Well, it's it's it's
1: <laughs> you know it's it's kind of fun uh, to to read how people bring in uh, Traverisms, if you will, okay. into their stories. Okay. Um, but then again, there's some there's some really unique ones as well.
2: So oh, that's cool. Um, several years ago the uh, Volcker Foundation met at the lodge and Fred Bishop was mm-hmm. there and he had the cup yes from the traveling fishing truck and he said you want a shot you want to have a drink of whiskey out of the cup and I said hell yes oh and, my goodness you know, one of the best pictures I got is
0: you know, oh, holding that, up John's that's cup a good one
2: for the, well, the whiskey is, so. that's a good
0: one yeah. well we do have an aspiration as a podcast we're uh, working with a, a buddy of mine up in Marquette and and uh, um, we're trying to figure out logistics of getting us all together at, uh, at Frenchman's mm-hmm. and uh, doing a podcast there. So That would be special. I it would be way special. You know, and that's what's, <laughs>
1: that's what's so cool about, you know, Pardon me. for people that may be listening that have never been to the Lovells uh, Township Museum. Um, and I'm just a bystander. But they have had some really spectacular... Events there. I, I mean, a uh, good friend through the years. Well, yeah, I, um, I mean, the traveling uh, Traver show is just one example. Um, but, you know, what they show from from northern Michigan uh, in the Levels area, whether it's angling or timbering or whatever, and some of the other uh, events there, you know, it's uh, rare that if I'm coming across 612. Uh, I don't kind of slide in and just take a gander because it, right it's really, really one of those neat little um, slices of, of Americana that you're you're not gonna see. Um,
0: you won't find this anywhere else. You know, you're not gonna see
1: on uh, on just by taking a four lane someplace. Um, but it's well worth your
2: time and effort to, to go in and. just it at. would be fair to characterize us as unique. <laughs>
1: Indeed. <laughs> well, I, in a wonderful way.
2: I'm not. <laughs> not you know, I, please uh, <laughs> take the,
1: it
0: in the spirit intended. Yes. In the spirit, spirit intended. We'll take that and say but, thank uh, you, for you very know, much. Always,
2: uh, and, but <laughs> Volker, you know, I was there when we did the Volker uh, exhibit, and that was, uh, you know, it was an easy one because, you know, I mean, you're just so much there to work with. I mean, the guy was you know, remarkable in so many ways, and. Uh, Gosh, you know, I've read all his books, or at least looked at them, but Danny and the Boys is probably, you know, uh, the one I like best, which probably reflects more on my uh, taste in literature than his writing. (laughs) Well, you know, I I think that's (laughs) where his
1: Travers genius really, or skills really uh, come into, because... He wrote and spoke, or his voice, I should say he wrote, but his voice was so cross-communities. Um, you know, he just didn't write to a level. He looked at real life and real people yep. and everything there. Um, and Danny and the Boys is one of those things. Uh, in one of my talks on Travers, I, I always talk about this, in the fact that uh, he tells a story on himself where he gets kind of mired in the muck at Frenchman's Pond. And he's stuck in the water in his waders. And he uses the term extricate. <laughs> okay? And it is the perfect word for the scenario, in the scene. I can't guarantee this, but I firmly believe it's the only time that extricate was, has ever been used in a fly fishing or an <laughs> angling related story. And it was used perfectly. But the brilliance to that is, and again, it kind of comes back to what I said earlier. You know, good sporting riding is based on one experience, and two based on the experience of writing and blending those two together to know what you can say or how to say it to make it impactful. You know, and by his legal background and standings and writings, decisions, or briefs, because he practiced on both sides of the aisle, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, you know, using extricate there, you know, adds a, you know, it's not just a big word thrown in superfluously, if you will, <laughs> um, to play around with big words in my mind <laughs> here. But it's used to to really invoke a, an exact emotion or or place, time, or setting. Um, and I think he does it so well. You know, Danny and the boys are is one story, but then you look at the anatomy of a murder, exactly. and you see... You know, a, more development, of course. I mean, you know, it was nominated for Academy Awards. Um, but you see, you know, Jimmy Stewart's character um, there as a pretty common attorney thrust into a major
0: maybe
1: development.
0: Maybe slightly topping his waiters. Yeah, maybe
1: going <laughs> slightly over the top. But you know, at the end, he still is that yeah, same average guy. guy from the UP. Um, so, uh,
2: from Marquette County. But
0: I like it anyway. That's
2: you know, that's one of the things I always uh, appreciated about John Volker was you know he didn't tie flies, he didn't make rods, he didn't go overboard on his stuff. He just loved fishing, and that's what he did. I mean, well, he to loved the exclusion the of almost, you know. Yeah. I mean, he'd give up a Supreme Court seat in the in the end. Uh, so not well, necessarily to go fishing, but that must have been a big part of it.
0: But but just the whole simplicity of it. I mean, he's more than content to cast to small brookies. You know, didn't have to go out after the big, you know Well uh, you not know that he was opposed to it, but
1: Well, and I, I think that comes again, that comes with age and experience. Okay? Uh, and I'm gonna wrap this around to, to last night. Um because we're doing this uh, in the morning here. Um, but uh, I started my day, had a memorial service um, on the coast, uh, hour and a half north of of where I was for Jim Schram, a great, great environmental attorney and conservationist here in the state. Probably did more for flowing water and trout streams through the FERC relicensing agreement and all other uh, impacts. Um,
0: And he and Dorothy have been very good at the museum.
1: um, Throughout the years, but uh, his memorial service was yesterday. And then I had another meeting uh, in Luther, and I ended up uh, at this little camp deal that uh, we have on the Manistee River, myself and a few buddies. And I got there a little before 9 o'clock, okay? And I walked down to the dock, and it was, not much was going on. Yeah. It was, it was pretty sullen, um, up there. But I rigged up a rod, um, stuck on a reel, um, thought, you know, I could just sit on the dock, and I said, no, I'm going to put on my waders. So I donned my waders, and I go back and I sit down at the dock, and by this time it's like, I don't know, 9.15 or something. Um... And it's still pretty catatonic, and I said, you know, I probably just should walk up to the next bend up, and I said, eh, you know, it's just been a long day, and, and the river was gorgeous. I mean, it was peaceful and calm, it was just absolutely great. So, long story short, um, probably 9.45, some little fish start feeding and they're feeding right next to the grassy banks, which to me instantly means that they're eating isos that are climbing out onto the, the reeds or the stream grass, whatever you want. And I put on a, a little soft hackle and swing a cast down through there, and I get pretty nice little brook trout. Uh, I mean, they're all nice, but this one's, you know, seven, eight inches, I guess. There you go. And... Uh, Then another fish feeds upstream, and I kind of get a fish. And then there's a pretty good, pretty good rise like three rod lengths away, maybe not even that. Uh, just off our dock in the tag allers. I have no idea what it ate. I mean, I just, I mean, doesn't make any sense, but it was a pretty good rise, and uh, so I kind of switch over to kind of a mothy, I don't know, kind of a old night Pennsylvania night waking fly and not really a hex, not really nothing. And just kind of plop it out there and let it go in this fish feeds and I end up with really nice fish. I Sweet. mean not I mean, not over twenty inches, but a, a really solid, wild, deep bodied brown trout. Love that. Um <laughs> And now it's like ten o'clock, and there's actually a few bugs up in the air, and there's still a little daylight, and I thought, you know, it's good
0: enough. Good day. And, uh,
1: <laughs> and literally, my waders never got wet. I mean, I, I. So you talk about, you know, Volker fishing at Frenchman's Pond off his little platforms. Literally, my my waders never got wet. I I just I fished off the dock like I was a five-year-old kid. And instead of 59 and, and had just as much fun, um, you know, and it's always nice to land fish, don't get me wrong, I'd still had a, a pretty nice night if if I hadn't. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes the, I don't know, the, the chase isn't nearly as important to me anymore as uh, it used to be, and, and just being there is all that matters. Just
0: the environment matters. is... Often the reward is yeah. just the peace, the quiet, the solitude, the you know and the tranquility. And, and, the... and the
1: other thing is, is you know, I don't know how long that fish has been, like I said, a couple rod links off our dock. But I guarantee you we've had it's been walked past a bunch of <laughs> bunch a bunch of times. Because nobody's on the dock, it everybody's in the creek someplace else. Um, so, you know, um, now I just gave up the secret. So, uh, where's this doc? Where's <laughs> it?
0: And we'll put the GPS yeah, I was gonna say. The show notes. Yeah, right. No problem. <laughs> anyway, That's awesome, man. That's a great way to, to, to finish out a day that, you know, you, I mean, you ran the gamut emotionally and ran the gamut geographically. <laughs> You know, just rewarded with a, a nice a, end of the day. A
2: trio of fish. So. I love it. Anyway. Well love you uh, talk about fly fishing. You run a pretty good shop down in Grand Rapids, right? So well, thank you. Great uh, Lakes Fly Fishers? Yeah, we
1: have uh, the Great Lakes Fly Fishing Company. Um, albeit I'm not spending near as much time there as I, I used to. Uh, I've taken a, another role with Rough Grouse Society, which I think we'll talk about here in a little bit. But, yeah, um, you know, it's... uh it's fun. Uh, we have quite a few books. Um, probably the largest sporting library of anybody, uh, at least in this part of the world. Um, and then, you know, unique tackle rods, reels, um, as well as, you know, commodity products. But, uh, but really, you know, it's just, a, it's just a menagerie that I built there full of uh, unique things. Stuff. So, yeah.
0: But so. that's what makes it cool.
1: Well, I hope so. You know everything. from... That's not
0: going to be replicated elsewhere. Yeah, everything
1: from you know Paul Young rods to Bob Summers priests to Bogdens and Sarciones. Where and
2: is that at nine Grand Rapids? It's North in South? Rockford. Rockford. Yeah. Okay,
1: in Rockford, Michigan.
2: Nice, nice. All right. Well, you... Uh, yeah, you mentioned RGS. Let's yeah. let's go there. Absolutely. I, you know, I'm interested. Uh, well, I, 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 I like think RGS. this
1: is. Uh, It's a really, really exciting time um, for conservation in the state. Um, And it's a really, really exciting time for the Rough Grouse Society. Um, And as I mentioned earlier, my father was a a longtime conservation officer in the state of Ohio, and I came from, on both sides of my family, a very conservation uh whether it was the agricultural side uh, with my maternal grandfather or my paternal grandfather uh, the, the ethics and the importance of conservation uh, and giving back to what we enjoy uh, so about two years ago i i was given the opportunity to join rgs uh, in a development role um, and help build uh, the organization um which was kind of is a second career if you will um but it's been so enjoyable and fascinating in helping raise money for projects uh, that we have going across the state and you know dr ben jones uh our ceo president is a very dynamic uh leader Uh, one of the reasons why I I think I I joined, um, but really looks at conservation on a large landscape scale with collaborators. And so, you know, recently, last month, um, we've signed two stewardship agreements with the Federal Forest Service here in the state of Michigan, one with Huron Manistee, National Forest, the other one with so, the Ottawa. What does that? What does I'm that mean? To translate to the hunter. What does that mean is we all know that young forest management or forest diversity, we need to cut trees, and sometimes um, through the bureaucracy of the of um, the Forest Service or other things, they need help. So by doing a stewardship agreement with them, the Rough Grouse Society can go in and cruise a timber cut, mark a timber cut, implement the timber cut, and get a portion of the revenues to cover our expenses, and then the money, instead of going into the national coffers, has to stay within the...
2: Oh, this is a service to improving
1: habitat so and it's raising some money about habitat. So then we can take those dollars to do more habitat work or do non commercial work like alder uh, shearing. So we've signed those agreements. We just received uh, just under $200,000 Michigan Wildlife Habitat Grant um, that uh, is going to be announced, what uh, came made public last week. Uh, I don't know when this will air. Um but quick. Uh, quick. <laughs> yeah, it'll be so, a today. <laughs> uh, so that will uh that is coming there. That's gonna be done again. It's called the Pierre Marquette Watershed Collaborative, done with a core group of partners, um, Conservation Resource Alliance, Youth Work, Um, RGS, AWS. And again, having these collaborating partners allows us to leverage money increase money through our matches to get bigger landscape projects um going across the state
2: i well, you know <clears throat> right here i tend to think locally but i could look out my back window of the cabin i you know five six years ago and there'd be eight or nine grouse out there milling around and you know, there'd be another between the cabin and the road i mean there'd be that many more easily but <clears> the <throat> last few years i haven't seen them but i have seen a lot of turkeys and the uh, turkey foundation got quite a lot of money from the state last year Uh, has it stayed on board with the grouse certainly the business Um, certainly i think when you you look at this collaborative grant we had
1: we also moving aside from grouse um, we were awarded um, last year uh, a wildlife habitat grant for what was called the southern woodcock project We all understand that woodcock are migratory and we all think of them, you know, maybe above US 10 or, you know, above 72. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also need to understand and recognize the importance of our southern habitat, um, whether it's for migration headed south for Mm -hmm. the winter months and rest and nourishment, or on their migration north when it may be open in southern Michigan. While you still have a little bit of snow and frost up here in levels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a grant that we did. Uh, the We also received a 154, 155, no, it was right under 160. Um, that we implemented into the Pigeon River State Game Area. It was uh, put together by the Roger Moore chapter There's some out cool of stuff Flint. Going on up there. Um, and so, you know, that was to be actually completed um, during the pandemic shutdown, which shut down a lot of things. Um, but we came through it very, very strong. And that project's being uh, completed here or so, completed uh, this year. Have you noticed?
2: <clears throat> just, um, a uh, little you know, empirical some observation here. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed the uh, grouse populations dropping off up here? Well, uh, you know, I get some visibility through the shop. The guys go out and they come back and the woodcock numbers are good. The grouse numbers are not so good. I, I
1: think when you look at these whole biological populations, um, I would say last year, for me personally, I had a pretty decent year. Um, But you would find pockets versus birds being evenly distributed. And what do you uh, attribute that to? Um, If you think back to the last couple years, right when our birds were nesting and coming out of eggs, we've had big, cold, wet rains and or snow. Mm -hmm. Um, What does that do to the young of the year? Um, But, uh, you know, Overall, Michigan still hatches, broods, whatever you want to say. Um, Largest number of woodcock anywhere in the continental United States. And historically, we're in the top, you know, three to four on grouse. So even though they may not be in, you know, it's like anything else, you know, we all want to go out and find Double digit flushes and nice. points every single day. Well, or we want, you know, fish rising recklessly abandoned, mm-hmm. like you hear in or read in sporting stories. Exactly. But <laughs> um,
2: sometimes, you know, it doesn't happen. Well, you hear about it in the old days. There's fish everywhere and grouse everywhere. But I mean, just in the course of the last 10 years, I think there's been a noticeable change, I think. And, uh, I, you know, I've it's worrisome to me.
0: It's it's interesting, you know, because <clears throat> when we first came up, we've been up full time four years now, and uh, we're just a little north of Richard. It's not not many birds. Last last fall had birds all over the place. It was, but <laughs> to your point, I, I don't know what's what's going to happen this year. I've seen a couple of, you know, weird things that... <laughs> yes. well, I'm
2: hoping that, you know, yeah. we get some some kind of initiative that'll... You know, I'm not a biologist. <laughs> I could be on the Supreme Court. But,
1: uh,
2: <laughs> I but Something, uh, you know, there's some uh, some trick that can be pulled out of the bag to help a situation and, you know, some kind of habitat work. Well, the, the big thing is, is
1: habitat diversity and young successional forest management, which the state's doing a pretty good job around here. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of cutting. But also understand that grouse need more than just aspen's cuttings. They need mature forests as well mm-hmm. um, for nesting. Mm-hmm. Um, they need, uh, you know, berries and a food source. So they need a diversity. Um, it's not just all... You know, one, grouse one just don't right. spend 365 days in an aspen state. Right. right. Yeah. Though sometimes we think so because the most, most of the time that we're in the woods or most people are in the woods is when they're in,
2: you know, using
0: yeah, well. <laughs>
2: thick stem density. Well, um, it but, may not be as dire as I'm relating here, but, uh, you know, because I know the guys who do their homework and scout through the years. They go out and you know and they hunt. They find birds, so it's uh, you know there's some of that involved in it too. You got to do your groundwork. Well, uh, well you it's know. not
0: a vending machine. <laughs> <It's. Yeah. laughs>
1: uh, you know, it's it's like anything else. Uh, so
0: there is, yeah, there's there's effort <clears throat> and work required.
1: But it's real exciting, uh, very exciting times for RGS and AWS uh, and what we're doing across the state. We've just hired a, a new forester. Um, this person will be coming on uh, later this month. Um, and this person's going to be based, uh, in, the, the Clare area and we'll be doing work on both public and private lands, mm-hmm. uh, administering some of these grants as well. So yeah, uh, we're be up in the neighborhood.
0: Yeah. We're
2: hiring some capacity and moving forward there. Well, so. The RGS is a good outfit. AWS or Woodcock RGS yeah. and Grouse and Woodcock
0: association. Yeah you look around, you see a lot of pictures here. I'm,
2: I'm a member and I like to support them. So. Yeah. And, yeah.
0: When you, you know, beyond these big overarching projects, there's some really cool uh, day events coming up uh, around the state. Uh, there's, of interest to me, that I think it's the Moore chapter, it may be mistaken, but it's a little further downstate, but a new hunter demo. Uh, yeah, I demo. mean...
1: The great thing is we've got some some wonderful chapters and wonderful volunteers. Uh, we have shoots coming up, but uh, the event that you're speaking of is uh, going to be on August the 13th at the Gladwin Field Trial Grounds. Um, it's a multifaceted day of of really looking at grouse and woodcock from a biological habitat stance. Bruce Barlow from the DNR will be there uh, talking. Um, Adam Bump from the Michigan DNR uh, will be there also presenting. Uh, ben Jones, Dr. Ben Jones, oh, uh, the C- our CEO, will be there talking. and It's going to be an opportunity to not just have lectures, but if you've never been to the, the Gladman Field Trial gl- Grounds, um, it's managed for Grouse and Woodcock for the sport of field trialing. Um, and we'll be there will be a field trial going on that day, so you can walk behind braces of dogs if you want to see really good uh, competition dogs go at it. But also, we'll be walking through a portion of the grounds and having biologists talk about the need for diverse forests, talking about what type of habitat birds would use at what time of the year, um and so it's it's gonna be a really fun, interesting day. That great. Put on uh, by the Roger Moore chapter. So yeah. um
0: I think if I remember the invite correctly, it was RSVs not required but preferred. Yes. So um, I would suggest listeners go to the that. Go to
1: the RGS website, uh, click on uh, events, and you can see a flyer there. Uh and uh yes, and the reason that uh we're asking for that or the chapters asking for that. They are going to provide a, uh, a lunch for a fee afterwards. And it's, it's really just to make sure there's enough logistic planning planning, uh, enough for that, but it's going to be a really nice day. Very, very educational, uh, lot of opportunities uh that's that's going on so good as well as our shoots and then we have fundraising banquets um coming up the grand rapids banquet is the first one for the fall there'll be one in west branch not too far from here Mm -hmm. Uh, one in the cadillac highlands area and again you can reference all those dates and information uh off the rgs
0: website yeah i did one of the shoots um last fall um over in low what no pun intended. What a blast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> good, good fun. And a great group of people, so too. And
1: if, if this is going to get uh, launched this week, uh, on Wednesday is the Grand Rapids. And this is a real unique one, uh, and I'm very proud of this one because um, I was involved from the inception of it. Uh, but this Wednesday is the Shrems West Michigan TU, Trout Unlimited Chapter and uh, the Greater Grand Rapids RGS uh, chapters, what we do call our Cast and Blast. Oh, So perfect. it's a, a sporting... We combine uh, the two chapters together uh, in a volunteer fundraising effort, um, and we do a sport 50-round sporting clays shoot, and then they set up kind of a fly-casting sporting clays course
0: oh, wow. as
1: well. And so you get to do both. Um, and... <laughs> then the proceeds uh, of the event are split 50-50 down the middle. Um, Shrems West Michigan TU uses their proceeds to fund uh, their Salmon in the Classroom project, which, if you're not familiar with that, is a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, conservation aspect where they take you know, salmon eggs and turn them into fish and then release them. Uh, in the spring throughout Grand Rapids Public Schools and other school districts in the greater Grand Rapids area. And then uh, the Grand Rapids Rough Grass Society uses their proceeds uh, for their youth hunter event, uh, their educational. So all the proceeds go back into uh, you know, R3 recruitment um, and introducing the sport field sports to uh, youth so we have oh, wow. conservationists and, and volunteers
0: uh, in the future. Absolutely critical. We were, uh, I guess, uh, the the Michigan Tu Youth Camp has uh, chosen to visit the museum for the last several years. Um, it and it's really to that end. You know, these these are the kids that are are coming up. They're the ones that are going to take our place, looking after, you know, forests and rivers and such. And um, it's just really exciting that. That type, you know, not only are you getting into the mechanics of fly casting or knot tying or whatever else, um, the ethics behind it, but you're also going to get a little dose of history and, uh, you know, learn a little bit about the sport that uh, you know, you're pursuing. And it, it's just really exciting that we're seeing this youth movement get a little traction. Yeah, I Cause think. Because there's been a big dip. Well, I mean, mean, numbers are horribly low.
1: You know, I I think, and there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of societal reasons or explanations or excuses to why it is. But, you know, hell, when I was a kid in the summertime, we'd jump on our bikes with our fishing rods and tackle boxes. And, you know, if we, I mean, we were had to be back at supper time or you know, just, disappear for the whole day. day. Yeah. yeah. Yep. You know, and, and that I mean, doesn't really happen, no, not, uh, so, at so least in anymore. urban areas yeah. uh, <clears throat> today. So I think that, you know, that's a big part of it, but getting kids exposed at an early on is so important um, to, to everything, whether it's being in the grouse woods or on a trout stream or, you know, even fishing with a red and white bobber. Uh, I think, you know, one of the things a lot of people do is they try and introduce fly fishing to their children too soon, and I know that's probably uh, categorically, uh, poop. you know, people are going, what are you talking about? But, you know, I think kids need to learn to, to fish with a red and white bobber and fish with live bait before... There's
0: no reason the, not to. There,
1: and there's no reason not to. You know, and and
0: well, and you're gonna get a lot more success early on,
1: and that's what's important.
0: And that's gonna that's hey, let's go back out. That was a great time. That's what is important.
2: Yep. So, well, yep. I remember when I was I grew up in Battle Creek, kind uh, of by Postonville, and you get a little money and run down into uh, down into Postonville, the Smitty's sports Shop, and buy a red and white bobber. I had to had a hundred of those damn things because that was the only <laughs> thing I could afford. You know, but I had to go buy some fishing gear.
0: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's awesome. So. Well, so what's, um, we've got Volker, we've got Grouse, we've got Books. You've talked a little bit about fishing. What's, um, kind of, I guess you've got the cabin on the Manistee. Um, I know that's not the only water you fish. The, um, do, do you have a favorite spot?
1: <sighs> boy do i have a favorite spot.
0: and i mean the cabin could be the problem. well answer. you know <laughs> the, the
1: the the club that we have over there you know it, it's very special uh to me um because it is a is a getaway both uh, through the summer months treehouse. and in the fall <laughs> you know it, it is that that classic treehouse um you know uh i always um, You know, I always pine for waters in Pennsylvania, um, because that's my boyhood haunts, and and as I always say, I have a lot of family baggage there, Um, but in a good way. Sure. Uh, But everything from, you know, the classic Spring Creek uh, to little step-aside, you know, brook trout streams or native streams or... You know the the technical freestoners like Slate Run or Cedar Run, um, you know each of those, each of those streams, um, and not saying that the Asable and the Manistee aren't, but each of those streams have, you know, a, a deep emotional attachment and lesson with them. Sure. You know, in we talked about bait fishing here for a second. I haven't. I don't know if I've ever told this story in public or not. Um, so, uh, yeah, this, this mm-hmm. might be a, if you've got a weak spot, this may not be the place. <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> um, as a little kid growing up, um, as I said, my grandfather, uh, we kept a place in, in Pennsylvania and he was an aeronautical engineer for the federal government at Wright Pat. And every day, the day after I got out of school, we'd pack up and we'd take off and we'd go back to Pennsylvania, and fish. And even though we had a house there, he was a member of a deer camp that was kind of off of a two-track, off of a two-track, that was built there by relatives. My great-uncle was a member, he was a member, Pat Holt, Blanchard Holt, great, great old guys. You know, the, I was so fortunate to grow up around all of these old men that that grew up as part of the timber world and made their living in the you know in the woods and learned to shoot and fish in the woods not for sport but because they had, for sustenance but anyway we would stay at the deer camp and the deer right behind the deer camp there was a, a little stream that percolates right up out of the ground and that's why the deer camp was built there was there, there was a spring and the spring was probably in diameter twice as big as a, like a, a 16 top table. And it turned into a little brook trout stream and flowed downstream. Anyway. So we'd always fish the creek with live bait. And then we'd, during the day or whatever. And then in the evenings we'd go fish like spring Creek with bugs for the hatches. Mm. Um, So, you know, as a little kid, I'm bait fishing, and I don't know how old I was, but we'd always wake up early and this camp. As I'm going on, had a big, huge cast iron wood stove. It's the only heat in the place. I mean, there were potbelly stoves around the place, but you know, the cooking was done on this big. So we'd start a fire, and I I probably was ten or eleven, and uh, my grandfather said, "Why don't you go try and get some brook trout for breakfast?" I said, "Okay." And I grab my rod and red worms, and I go down, and I don't know, three, four hundred yards away from the camp, the river makes a big hard left bend, and there's this big limestone rock. We, they called it the ledge pool. Uh, I was down through there, and I go down to the ledge pool and drift this red worm down there on a leader and little split shot, and. Whack, I get a fish, and it's like a 7, 8-inch brook trout, and big enough to kill, and I thwap him in the head and throw him in my creel, and make another cast and thwap another one. And anyway, long story short, I probably should have stopped after four, but fishing was pretty good, and I was a young, bloodthirsty kid. <laughs> and so I catch two more, so I got six fish. Still within the limit at that time. And I go back out and back up to the camp. And my grandfather said, how do you do? And I dropped this fish out of this creel into this old dry sink that they had. There was no running water in this place, just a hand pitch pop into this dry thing. And he looks at these brook trout. He said, where'd you get those? I said, they all came out of the ledge pool. My grandfather looked at me. And my grandfather was a very small, diminutive man. He was very, typically very quiet and very gentle-like. And he looked at me and he says, I guess we don't need to fish there anymore. In the sternest tone Mm. that I (laughs) think he he might have spoken to me ever at that time. He spoke to me sterner later, but at that time. (laughs) um, And it was one of those true, true conservation moments. Because, you know, I... What do you really need? I took more than what we really needed, and I took them all from the same pool. And uh, so, you know, little things like that, you know, really, um, I don't know. I guess they're more important than 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 anything. I mean, you know, I can, you know, you, uh, another story is, uh, you know, my dear friend, mentor Tom Clark passed away uh, here little while ago and uh we had some some wonderful times fishing out east and out west and in Michigan together and you know it's it's those places that you fished with him it doesn't matter what you caught um but you know there uh you know the
0: camaraderie the camaraderie I mean you know
1: the, the the little run that the um or my fish caught his last two, or my father caught his last two fish. Um, it was really special. Um, and again, that's on Cedar Run in Pennsylvania. This is kind of, uh, boy, I'm oh, really sorry. going off. So, uh, my father loved to catch brown trout. Um, you know, in my father's eyes, if, if you had the gumption or the stamina to, to land a good wild brown trout, that meant something. Okay. Um, didn't matter where, but that meant something. Because, you know, brook trout, well, the natives were... Willing. Willing. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> but, you know, if you were an angler worth your salt, a good brown trout was, was what it's you wanted A little more do. elusive. So uh, my father's uh, nearing the end of his journey, if you will. And uh, he wanted to go fish Slate Run, um, which is in a, a canyon, if you will, and very, we, he just, he didn't have the capacity to do it. But uh, up a ways on Cedar Run, the river kind of crosses a bend, or bridge, and, and makes a bend, and there's a big, long, kind of grassy opening glide and pool with a little spit of gravel, and I think, I said, oh, we can get him out there. So we get in there. Anyway, he makes a cast and misses a fish. And, uh, you know, he was, I hate to say it, but he had the reaction time of a prehistoric slug because he was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty ill. And I'm like, "Ah, how many chances are we going to have to do this? And he misses another fish. And he's getting a little, little miffed at himself. And about this time, he makes this drift and this little caddis comes floating down off the riffle into the pool and the all I can say is this like fourteen inch brown trout comes up and commits suicide. (laughs) I mean this fish just comes up and engulfs the fly, hooks himself, my dad lifts, the fish is on, and we've got this I mean it's a nice smiles anyway. So we uh That's awesome. He hooks this fish. Now, you, you got to understand this. Um, my father's towards the end of his life, and, and this is literally the next to the last trout that he ever caught. But uh, so I've got a long handled guide net. I mean, I got a, a net like you'd use in an Asaba longboat with me. I mean, we are not taking any prisoners. <laughs> and this fish is out there, and I'm in hip boots, and it's a brown trout. And I go, what the heck? So I kind of wait out and scoop this fish. And I'm like, see, Dad, you still got it in you. You can do this. This is a heck of a nice wild brown trout. And my dad looks at me, square eye, and he goes, yep, nice fish. No enthusiasm, no excitement. no. I'm like, what? <laughs> Said, yeah, it's a nice fish. I go, Dad, it's it's a wild brown trout. I mean, you love brown trout. He goes yeah I, I was really hoping to catch one last native which is what he called a brook trout ah. and I'm like you gotta be flipping kidding me you know so I released this fish now you gotta figure this we're in this little kind of run this little oh. pool he's missed a couple fish he's hooked this 14 inch brown trout it's kind of raced over I've won out into the pool and long net scooped this fish this pool is torched. I mean, it is (laughs) smoked. And he wants to catch a brook trout. I'm like, okay. So, I'm like, okay, what are we going to do? And so I get him kind of turned around and I said, cast that caddis up into the riffle and let it float down. He says, I know where the catch. You don't need to tell me how to fish. I said, okay, (laughs) I I don't. But just do me a favor. Cast that up into that little riffle behind that rock and let it come down. And he makes a couple casts, and it's he's got drag, and I'm telling him you got to keep keep stripping in, and he's telling me to shut up. And <laughs> anyway, he finally makes this cast, and and you know it's it's one of those things when you see it, you just know it's going to be a good one. I, I mean, okay. I know that sounds poetic and like you're writing a story, but it's one of those deals where you see the line go, and you see where it's going to go. You know, when you've stood on as many people's shoulders as I have fishing over the years, teaching and whatever. Um, You know, it's this is the one. And it literally hits the water and drifts around this little rock, and this brook trout comes up and eats it. And again, the fish, I I tell you, it was God's sake, because the fish, like, demolishes this fly. He gets him on, he's stripping it down the riffle. I scoop him with the net, and he gets this, uh, I mean... It, it might have been a half a half of a ruler it might have been six inches but it didn't matter to him because he'd caught his last native. and uh, I uh, and we had taken a chair we'd taken kind of a foldable camp chair with us to sit out on this spit and I said, well you want to try another one he said no i I just want to sit here and watch you fish one last time
0: mm. um, man so Right, good on you.
1: As I kind of choke up, so. Well, no, no, um, no,
0: and rightfully slow, but that's. But those. Not, not everybody has that.
1: You know, those are the those are the things. You know, you know, and you, you you hear like instead of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you hear the fishing hierarchy where you have to, you know. Catch a lot of fish, and then, uh, you know. Or one fish, then a lot of fish, and then a big fish, then a great fish, or then just go fishing. Well, uh, you know, I think you need to add another one of that is, is the, you know, the friendship side of the coin, um, the, the personal interaction, um, whether it's in the truck getting there or in the boat floating downstream or, you know, waiting, sitting on a log waiting for bugs to happen.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, and the same is true in the field. You know, the same is true in the field. So,
0: that's awesome, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, a lot of
2: good things going on in the state, and I find that you're involved in a lot of them, and
0: appreciate your efforts. Absolutely.
2: Well,
1: no, it's uh, you have to give back. Um, you have to give back, um, because, and I guess this is a challenge to, to the younger people that are out there, Um, even if you don't have time, and we tried to do this with our children, even if you don't have time, make sure that your children see things like the Lovell's Historical Museum. Make sure they go to an RGS event like this, Hunters and Handlers. They may never hunt again. It may not be their cup of tea. But what you need to do is to expose the next generations to these opportunities so they see the importance of them and the importance of volunteering or volunteerism in whatever level that is, whether it's in a music society whether it's in a literary society whether it is you know a food bank um you know anglers of the asable mason griffith tu rough grouse society american woodcock society whatever it is you know because i like i said have all this family baggage of of conservation uh in me um that's where i gravitate towards but it is so important to, for youth to see this and, and understand the importance of the historical society and to understand that it takes funds and volunteerism and man hours to keep it going. So, anyway,
0: that's... No, I've it's... rambled you're, on enough. No, you're spot on, and it's... Especially it, the money it, part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's a recurring theme. On the show here, it's we we try to promote conservation. We try to promote awareness. Um, there's more to just than just participation in the sport. The giving back is critical. It's you know whether it's caring for the resource or bringing young people into the sport. It's all equally important, and it's all critical that the folks that you know enjoy these passions. You know. Go ahead and, you know, take that extra, extra level of involvement. So, good job out of you.
2: Well, thank you. I really appreciate you coming up, and uh, got a couple things to talk about here.
0: Yeah, great show, Glad yeah. Thank uh, you. Thank you. What's good next? Day. What's next? Yeah. What's. Uh, in- what's
1: next? Um, really, I've been trying to carve out more time uh, to write. Uh, you know, I've uh, I certainly enjoy the the magazine writing but uh am working on a uh, a series of essays that hopefully and some and possibly some sporting poetry that uh oh wow um that may find a book um so uh that's, that's uh, awesome yeah uh, it's 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 kind of fun hey hey how are you awesome um
0: so well with that we'll say thank you it's been awesome. a pleasure I'm glad you made the effort. Uh, I know it wasn't just a a five-minute trip up the road, so uh, thanks, Glenn. (laughs) Thank you. Really great job. Uh, Listeners, thank you all very much. Um, Tune in next week uh, for more fun and excitement. Uh, We appreciate your listenership. And uh, as we say at the end of the show, mind your back cast.